Another historical lesson, if you may. It's a question that all of us ask ourselves and each other, after all. If the fall brought us to the potential to be immortal, then why did we not take it? Why do I have to die? Why is the death penalty still a thing for crimes other than AI experimentation? Why would the HGC not prefer for his citizenry to be ever-living minor demigods? Why? The Holy Purge, of course. See, the curse or the disease which caused the creation of the immortal Red Eyes is still scarcely understood. Public knowledge of the structure of the disease, its causes, infection vectors, RNA structure, all of that is strictly taboo. And for good reason, perhaps. While it is a common misconception today that the curse could render any unfected human immortal, the truth of the matter was exceptionally different. Only around 0.2% of infected people obtained its benefit, with the remainder of the populace suffering a staggering 98% fatality rate, uh, curiously not as a result of direct organ failure, but of the mindness and chaos the disease inflicted. Those who survived and remained sane, but were not rendered immortal, were confronted by the stark bleeding reality of shattered infrastructure, ruined ecology, and barely enough survival skills to make it through the following famine-ridden years. So everyone was starving, everyone was weak, and when everyone's weak, small advantages in strength can make all the difference. Today, natural rapid regeneration of skin and muscle tissues would save you nothing but a few credits. But back in early fall times, being able to heal cuts, burns, and just in general to be healthy in an otherwise unhealthy period, why, that incentivizes some peculiar behaviors. Bullies. Petty tyrants. Think about it. You're in a lawless wasteland and you don't want to go out and farm yourself because it's hard and boring. But the curse is flowing through your veins, making you stronger, faster, able to overpower anyone who doesn't have a gun in their hand. So, obviously, the worst tempered of the curse began to thrive, and their progeny were the ones who inherited the cruelty of the earth. But it was not to last. Guns returned, oddly enough, and they fell into other hands. What fires of the mind can consume entire planets? The first and most obvious one was disease. If a pestilence is airborne and may burrow itself into your brain, of course it might create the chaos of the first fall. Systems, no matter how many redundancies we build into them, will always be fragile, teetering on the precipice of cataclysm. And the pre-modern world was certainly fragile. But then you have a period of rebuilding. Things could have come together well. But humanity learned precious few lessons from its time grunting around in the dirt. No, it is my opinion, and the nascent opinion of the old rebels as well, that most human society had devolved from even the low status it had earned in the ancient and classical eras. But why? There are certain fundamental and foul truths about the universe. Work must be done. That's one of them. Nowadays, with modern equipment, it is hypothesized that three people could provide all the basic needs of 100. Food, utility, maintenance, all that sort of thing. But still, if you or I aren't among those three people, then who is? Someone has to be. And so the systems we build are, by virtue of the constraints injected into us by the universe, 
required to make more people work than is absolutely necessary, by virtue of the fact that if one second the precious, absolutely required jobs are unfulfilled for even a smidgen of time, the society itself explodes. Basic preservation instinct given institutional logic. Nowadays, it's not so bad. Really, the only reason half the population is employed in the present is that our society desires that buffer of labor, and thus has engineered for us a thousand desires under the sun for which many must earn credits and thus work. In worse times, what about when technology has regressed so deeply that you're using, I kid you not, a stick with a piece of iron on it to till the soil? Then 90 plus percent of the population must work on pain of societal implosion. And if you find yourself at the leading pinnacle of that society, why, you do everything in your power to coerce people to labor on and on so far into the day that their backs scream in agony. You become, by necessity, a harsh person, thinking of nothing but power and perhaps about yourself. And then the others around you in the first few decades start to die off and you're still there, a petty ruler forever bound to the mortal coil. You don't leave rulership because what else is there to do? The fact that you spent most of your remembered time cracking the whip makes it near impossible to put the whip down. So the culture around rulership changes to your needs. You and your red-eyed kin stay in power simply because everyone is too busy working to care. But you make a critical mistake if your goal is stamping the boot down on humanity's face forever. You keep around the knowledge of old. Principles of democracy, pleasure, individualism, art, science... These things do not mingle well with petty aristocracy. They require much more complex systems, less blatant ones to step in to repress them. But you've been there forever. You see yourself, you see your power. Anything and everyone you've ever bothered to love has weathered to the whims of time. The only friends you have left who you can be genuine with are in very similar circumstances as yourself, cracking the rip in their various fiefdoms. There is very little room to maneuver for redemption. So you don't change, but society does. People begin to read again. There's far too many books lying around and far too few police to keep everyone from enriching their minds, and heck, you, being an ancient beast of a bygone hedonistic age, actually encourage the tech drive to modernity. So the populace relearns ancient concepts of philosophy, the sacred nature of sapience, and the evils of perpetual hierarchies. So they're already foaming at the mouth. And then the famine strike. With the melting of the polarized caps, most agriculture had migrated north. But time, the lack of significant industrialization, and the planet's natural proclivity to ice ages brought them back. Mixed lack of rainfall with the fields already missing their age-old fertility, and you've got mass starvation on your hands. The people are starving, and there you are in your estate, filled with emergency food. They've already started to doubt your supremacy. In fact, they now think you're unholy. So people start dying in the hundreds of thousands. The government initially tries to redistribute food, but it's not enough. And always, always they see you well fed. The famine can't be fixed. Not fast enough to keep millions from dying. But your existence, it turns out, can. Hatred, after all, is a powerful thing. You think of yourself as your station in society, and so do the people out there whose very stomachs scream out for your head. But in the times that they aren't scrounging around for bread, they've been thinking. Your head won't be sufficient. 
After all, it's not just you, but the others, the entire climate of immortal red eyes ruling over a populace they couldn't give two dams about. So they'll take all your heads. But then a miracle occurs. But then the miracle occurs. A coincidence of such epic proportions that it almost sounds like it was fiction drafted by God, rather than a genuine event of history. The tribes on the backwater island of Great Britain have finally gotten themselves organized into proper society. And what do you know? They've started archaeological adventures, and one of those efforts turned out a massive block of research that the rest of the world is just now able to work on. A panacea for the curse. So the rage building in their hearts finds a new flame. Not only can they kill you, but they can make sure someone like you never exists again. And as fires tends to do when they're let loose on a landscape full of dry brush, it ignited into an absolute inferno. See what I did there? Earth was suffering from a planet-wide drought, so there was also literal brush there to catch fire on, and... Never mind. In short, there wound up being a cross-continental revolutionary front which killed a good two-thirds of the world's cursed elite and cured half the population of the disease. It was only natural that the governments which usurped the power after the Holy Purge continued panacea distribution efforts, desperate as they were to contain a newly federal citizenry. And so it carried itself into the future, with the Global Defense Council established after the Union of Bombay, keeping anti-curse legislation in its books, with pogroms continuing against the immortal population until 2419, when the census found there were no longer any cursed on the planet. Of course, there probably are a few red-eye immortals remaining, but their existence continues to be, well, not legally protected, and given how many religious fanatics were created in the Shadow War, it stands to reason that no cursed will appear in the public eye anytime soon. Heck, there was even a viral story three days ago about some teen getting lynched on Centauri. Centauri, of all places, for putting some red contact lenses in. Contact lenses. Uh, so, so, the red-eye tyranny is safely a thing of the past. But other tyrannies, it, it goes without saying that eye color is a horrible method for determining how and why we are being oppressed. It was barely a passable method in fall times, and it sure as hell doesn't work now. The oppressors of the present may wear suits or, heck, t-shirts, sitting on a couch watching the numbers they put into their Khmer and strip mining ventures go up. Or perhaps it's not even them, but the overwhelming lack of emotional logic in the calibration of society where, as I detailed above, it dispenses of all moral concerns towards its citizenry for the sake of the institutional logic undergirding its continued existence. Huh. Christ, I, I do sound like the Silent Skies prophet sometimes, but I suppose that is no great genius of either myself or him. Do any amount of thinking which isn't self-congratulatory, do a bit of historical analysis, and bam. There you go, you wind up being some type of quiet revolutionary. I suppose the only difference is I don't bother with the demon jargon.